0: Treehouse you can line up in the back. We've got Kyle and Isaiah leading the charge back there. Yes, indeed. If you got your Bible, would you grab it? Grab your Bible apps or focus your eyeballs on the screen. We're gonna to go to 1 John. If you didn't know, we've been in 1 John for a little while now. We started a couple of weeks back calling this series Brilliance in the Basics, an ode to uh, General Mattis and the idea of really just sort of doubling down on the things that matter most in our faith and what should be sort of the foundational principles that guide us as we follow after the Lord. Um, and so each week you should, you should see some highlight of, of a foundational principle, something that's going to help us in our walk this coming week. So what I'm going to do is because I, if you weren't here last week, I mentioned I'm going to pick up where we left off today from last week. So I'm going to read both last week's text and this week because you'll see how it's going to tie together. So we're going to start in 1 John chapter 1. I'm going to read starting in verse 5, and then we're going to go through chapter 2, verse 6. So that's that last week and this week together. So here's 1 John 1, starting in verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, not only for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him, but whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Let's pause and pray and ask for the Lord's help. God, we just thank you for another day of life. We thank you for your mercy that's new every morning. We thank you for the grace that's poured out upon grace, upon grace in our lives. We thank you for the truth of the Word of God that brings life. You said faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. There is life in these words. There's hope. Let us anchor ourselves to the truth of the Word of God. Help it, Lord, this morning to push deep into our hearts and souls this morning, transforming us to become more like you. We ask for your help this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. So you see a a number there at the bottom of the screen, that 858 number. Text in any questions you have during the sermon. Mike and I are going to come up here at the end, as we often do, and seek to answer those questions for you. It's a good way to interact. Please feel free to take advantage of that. We'd love to do some Q&A with you at the end. Okay, so just sort of by way of review, I know there were were some people out last week. There are still some that are sick. You know, we're we're in an interesting season right now. But I, I just, I want to spend a little bit of time up front this morning kind of reviewing where we were because, as I mentioned, it's going to just dovetail into where we're going this morning. And so here's where we were last week. The basic foundational principle, the thing that's going to help us is this. As creator, God's authority... Permeates, gets into all of life and he determines spiritual light and darkness. As the creator, he has the authority to do that and he does that. He says, this is right, this is wrong, this is light, this is darkness. That's his prerogative. In other words, God is entitled to set the standard for human life and to judge every person according to the standards. Amen? Amen. I know it's a... Kind of a challenging thing. But he says, at the very beginning of the passage, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. He is a creator and he sets the tone. That's why I called the sermon last week walking in the light as God has defined it. That's our, that's our aim, that's our goal. Walking in the light as he has defined it. His standards, not ours. So what happens, though, when we begin to walk in the light, the sin in our own lives becomes more and more obvious, right? We have that shining in, it gets harder to hide, harder to justify the sin, minimize the sin, or even dismiss the sin in our lives if we're remaining in the light, which is a huge part of John's message so far in chapter 1. He says, you can't say you're a believer and then walk in darkness. If you say this and you do that, what does he call you? A liar. liar. Like You're fooling yourself. Like God knows you're not fooling him, but you're fooling yourself. You can't say you're one thing and do something else. Another way of saying this is what I quoted last week from Professor Job. She said, um, a profession of faith in Christ requires a life that matches it. That's about as clear-cut as you can get. If you're claiming Christ... Your life needs to match it. Now, I spent a little time last week talking about the fact that we're not talking about perfection, are we? We're talking about obedience. A heart to want to improve in our following after him. So once we admit that there is sin in our lives, we acknowledge it. What does John tell us we must do in verse 9? Confess. Confess. We've got to say it out loud. And what is God's promise to us if we do confess? What does he do? He forgives us us and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. That's a promise from God. If we confess, he will do this. He will forgive and cleanse. And what is the means, this is all review, what is the means by which God is able to say that and offer this forgiveness of sins in our lives? Verse 7 blood. Jesus' blood forgives and cleanses. It's not through our performance. It's not our good works, not our tithes and offerings. It's not even our knowledge or understanding of the gospel. It is only through the perfect, sinless blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Good. All right, so then we spent a little bit of time talking about uh, sin itself, which is always a really fun and encouraging, comfortable topic, right? We love talking about sin. But here's where I want to pick up where we left off, because there's a very important issue here that we need to face as believers. And remember, the sin that we see in our lives is often the manifestation of things that are more deeply rooted. Sometimes there's symptoms of a bigger problem. We call those things a source idol, something deep in our hearts that's really enrooted and ingrained in in us, and we see sort of a little bit of manifestation of those kinds of things. But we rarely spend time really digging in and trying to expose what that is. We spend a lot of time and effort trying to fix the symptoms, right? Think about it in terms of your own health, right? If you've got a, a serious issue going on in your liver or your heart, and you're just trying to fix the symptoms, the outward signs of that. Are you really addressing the main issue? No, you're just going to continue to have those regular ongoing symptoms. You're going to find ways to cope with it and deal with it, but it's never going to go away. right? So this is the same idea. We need to discover what the root is and begin to deal with that so that we cut it off and then it, along with all of its symptoms and challenges that we face, will eventually also Dissipate. So I passed out a little chart, uh, a tool, in helping us to discover what those things are. It gives us just sort of a starting point, because this is going to be challenging, going to be difficult. Um, we're going to put it on the screen. I have like one or two copies here, maybe a couple more. I have like two copies, maybe more. Okay, if you weren't here last week and you want one of these, i will just going to give you one. There's three of them. Or you can just get your phone out and you can take a picture of it, whatever you want to do. Again, it's just a tool, but it is helpful. Um, feel free, again, to just snap a picture of um, that or somebody else. Maybe they have theirs here from last week. But we got to know where to start digging, right? So if the the idol, the source idol in our lives is a tree, an oak tree, let's call it, We've got to know where to pick up the shovel begin digging. We said last week, let's pick up the shovel and dig. But let's let's talk about a plan now. Because you can't just randomly start hacking at this thing, right? If it's a big, giant oak tree, you've got to have a strategy where the thing could fall on you. <laughs> you may be digging in the wrong place. You may think, oh, i got to go here. But uh, we got to get a plan, a way about going after this problem. Because here's the thing. Identifying idols is an important task. But is knowing what your idol is going to help you remove it? Knowledge alone is not enough, right? We've got to expose it, know it. Okay, there it is. All right, now let's go to work. Now let's pick up the shovels. Now let's dig in. And so Darren Patrick, whose book this, um, this little chart comes from, he says, We are only changed when we begin to turn from idols and turn to worshiping Jesus. And he gives three tangible steps in how we begin down this path. And so I'm going to to give us these three steps in this process. So once we're asking these hard questions, and so if you weren't here, we've got comfort, approval, control, and power. These sort of four key core ideas of where maybe a lot of our sin comes from. I'll tell you right now, what I struggle with the most is comfort. I like being comfortable. Doing hard things kind of is a a bummer sometimes. I just want to be, just leave me alone, man. I'm I'm good over here by myself. That's an idol in my life that I serve. Because, yeah, I, I I don't want stress and demands. Who wants that? I want freedom, privacy. But sometimes people feel hurt. They're like, why don't you care? Why don't you... Once you enter into this hard season with me, right? Or, or sometimes, I, yeah, boredom is a really big thing. Like, if you're comfortable, you're just kind of sitting back, watching life go by, and it can be boring, uneventful. And so, this is an example of that root core thing. And so, once you begin to walk through that and say, okay, yeah, I struggle with one or more of those things. Approval is another one that a lot of people, myself included, struggle with from time to time. All right, let's let's. Determine what that is, and then step one in dealing with our idols is name it. Name your idol. So now we're talking about praying to the Lord specifically about the thing in your life that is an issue. You say out loud to God, I have been serving the idol of comfort. Admit to God that you have sought after that idol. Instead of him, that you've served that idol instead of him, that you have allowed it to dominate your life for far too long, and then you ask for forgiveness. You repent and ask, Lord, remove this thing from my life. Now, that sounds a little bit harsh, perhaps, but it's the equivalent of moving, removing, as you say, a cancer from your body. It's invasive, it's painful, and it requires healing. Sometimes it requires going in multiple times to continue to remove pieces that come back again and again. It's a process. Only here, it's the Holy Spirit who is the surgeon, right, who's doing the cutting and the removing. But we need to get on the operating table. Last week I said we need to pick up the shovel. That was one example. Now I'm telling you we need to get on the operating table and prepare ourselves for the process of change. Because let me hit you with a little bit of knowledge. Sometimes we don't want the idols in our lives taken away. And why is that? Because we like it. We like the way our idols make us feel and the promises that they Give. Get on the operating table. Position yourself through honest, spirit led evaluation, shining the light in there. Okay, this is it, Lord. I've served this thing. That's step one. Next, after you've said it out loud, we're going to neuter your idol. Now, that word may draw to mind a couple of images. Doesn't matter. But I like it because the definition of the word includes something that I think is really helpful. It is the idea of removing the force or effectiveness of something. You're basically cutting it off at the knees. You're removing the force and effectiveness of something. So to neuter your idol is to cut it off and remove any power that it has in your life. How do we do that, you're asking? I want to neuter these idols, but I want to get it out. I'm going to come straight out of the book. This is the book that we're referring to. It's Gospel Eldership. It's fantastic. Um, okay, so we're talking about neutering our idols now. Here's how we go about that. This is in prayer. Step one. Identify how weak. God, this idol cannot deliver what it promises. It fails me time and time again. It has not done for me what you have done. You just say, look how weak this idol is. It promises all these things, and it never delivers. It's weak. Next, you identify how dangerous they are. God, this idol has enslaved me. It exerts influence and mastery over me. It wants to destroy me. And the longer I serve it, the more deeply it grips me. It's dangerous. We have to know what we're messing around with, right? It's not just some casual relationship with this thing. It's doing harm. What's the next thing? Identify how offensive. God, when I serve this idol, I spit in your face and tell you that you're not enough. I dishonor my Savior and his sacrifice for me on the cross. Despite all you've done for me, this idol is more beautiful and fulfilling to me than you. This is how we neuter the idol. We call it out for what it truly is. It's weak, it's dangerous, and it's offensive. So once we name it and we neuter it, what's the third thing we need to do? We need to replace it. Look, this stuff is hard. (laughs) Challenging, to say the least. You're going, man, this is two weeks in a row. What are you doing to me? and if we're going to be effective in the mission of God, effective in the mission of God, then we've got to undergo some serious transformation in our lives. And the goal really is to remove as many obstacles as possible from our path to serve Him more fully. And, and all of this, my friends, is for our good and for God's glory. Now, does that mean that God doesn't use us until we're all patched up No, of course not. Not in the slightest. I told you last week, this can be a years-long process. But the more that we have cleared out from our path, right, the more effective we will be in the work the Lord has for us. Alright, so, name, neuter, replace. So, what are we replacing these idols with? Of course, the Sunday school answer is correct, which is... Jesus, yes and amen. Good, good with that. But more specifically, because sometimes we need to be a little bit more specific in that, we rejoice and appreciate and celebrate who Jesus is and what he has actually done. You see, in our repentance, we need to truly celebrate what God has accomplished through Jesus on our behalf. Regularly Celebrating and rejoicing the freedom that we have. It can't be casual or just sort of intellectual. Our understanding and appreciation and celebrating of what God has done in our lives through Christ. The freedom and forgiveness that we have. Now we got to meditate on that. Let it sit and soak in our hearts and our minds the goodness and the beauty of Jesus. Seeing him as far greater than anything else that this world And our idols have to offer far greater. We've got to thank him for the specific ways that he succeeds when our idols fail. This is the part of replacing that I think is important. This is where we tie in the connection of the previous steps. When we make the connection in our minds between these idols and what they fail to deliver on and Jesus what he never fails to deliver on. For example, Jesus, I thank you that you are my righteous and perfect Savior. You alone can satisfy me. The idol of comfort promises me freedom, but it fails me again and again. Thank you that you are the only one that can bring me true freedom. You are replacing the idol in your heart with the one true source of what it is that idol promises and fails to deliver on. You can also find scriptures that specifically describe the kinds of promises that you're trusting in God for. Look for them, memorize them, ingest them, internalize them, meditate on them. Replace them, replace those idols with the promises of God. go back to the main slide there with all, all those things in there. So we're dealing with idols now. We're naming it, we're neutering it by telling it how weak it is, how dangerous it is, how offensive it is, and then we're replacing it with the beauty, and the majesty, the love in Christ and who He is and what He's accomplished on our behalf and the promises that He offers. Does that make sense? Yes. Now, I don't know what some of you are thinking. You're going, you're 21 minutes in and you haven't even touched the text today. Right? Who was thinking that? Come on, I know some of you were. Yeah, Mike was. And I would say yes and no. Because There's a lot of overlap between these two. So let's go back real quick, and I'll show you what I mean. Let's look at the first two verses of John chapter 2. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have the advocate with Father Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not ours only, but also for the sins of the world. So you see that the sin, the topic of sin rather, is still very much at issue. I think these two verses summarize somewhat what the last five verses did that we handled last week. um, With a few things to note. So I think the reason that John words it this way, especially those opening lines, I'm writing these things so that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, is to point out that the goal is not to sin. That's the goal, that we not sin. Because some people take the fact that we're sinners Out of context and say, well, if I'm going to sin, no matter what, I might as well just enjoy it and go all in. Wrong. (laughs) Wrong. Paul tells us that it's wrong in Romans 6, 1, 2. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means, he says. No, just because grace is going to abound, that's not a license to sin just because we know we're going to be forgiven. The aim is that we should not sin at all. Right? That's what he just said in the opening verse. Go back to verse 1, please. I'm writing to you so that you may not sin. Of course, when we fall short, which we do every day, John reminds us what? That we have an advocate with God the Father, who is Jesus. He's advocating for us before the Father. You ever thought about that? Jesus Christ advocating for you and for me before the Father. Now this is important when you consider other texts that tell us things that are going on before the Father. For example, let's look at Revelation chapter 12. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation the power of the kingdom of our God and the authority of Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down. Who accuses them day and night before God. So this is Satan accusing them, which is you and me, day and night before our God. Satan, the accuser, before God, regularly accusing you and me, and then who's right there before the Father doing what on our behalf? We need the advocate in Jesus who is the propitiation for our sin. There's that that word again, that fancy word, it's, it's always tricky, I think, because that one word describes and contains so much doctrine. So I, I think what we need is a very clear and healthy definition. So I'm going to read to you one of the best overviews of this word, propitiation, that I've ever read. It's so helpful comes from a gospel coalition article by a man named Ligon Duncan. It is fantastic. So, propitiation. What is it? Here's what he says. Because of our sin and rebellion against God, our original communion with God has been disrupted, and our persons and lives deserve judgment. The wrath of God in the Bible is the expression of his holiness in the face of our sin. Wrath is what our sin and rebellion justly deserve. Even though God is a God of infinite love, he does not show mercy at the expense of his justice. So propitiation is the way that the loving God shows us mercy justly. In the Bible, propitiation is not something that we provide to God to get right with him again. It is something that God provides to us that we may be justly and mercifully forgiven and accepted. And he does this at his own expense through the loving gift of his son, Jesus Christ. Notice that Jesus is not the one who offers atonement. He is the atonement. That's what it means, the propitiation. He is the The atonement. He is the one in our stead, in our place, who takes our punishment and God's wrath, which we rightly deserve by the shedding of his blood and the breaking of his body. Does a great job in describing what's actually taking place when we say that Jesus is the propitiation of our sin. And look, you can use some of this language when you go back to the process and begin to replace your idols. You can use this language. And, can, and compare what your idols failed to do and what, what Jesus didn't fail to do. He stood in our place, in our stead. He satisfied the wrath of God. He forgives us. He shed his blood. These are the things that make it possible. All right, let's look at these last few verses. Let's look at verses 3 through 6. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him, ought to walk in the same way which he walked. So I think these verses are really just a collection of reminders that we are called to a life of obedience. A life of doing. Listen, the language that the Bible uses to describe our behavior is this. We keep His commandments. We keep His word. We abide in Him. We walk as He walked. What does that sound like? It's action. It's it's doing. It's obedience that marks the life of a believer. But something to be very mindful of here, and keep this really close to you, the source, the purpose The reason of our obedience. It's not our keeping of God's commands. The doing, necessarily, that saves us. We know now that it's only by the blood of Jesus. By grace, through faith. So why does he make such a big deal about keeping his commandments and abiding and all that? Why capitalize on that? If that's not necessary for our salvation, why is it so important to you, John? (laughs) And he brings it back to the heart of the letter. In chapter 5, he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. It's an assurance of salvation thing. He's like, I need you to know that you are redeemed, that you are saved. He's writing to ensure that his original audience, and by extension, us here today, we have confidence in our salvation. We know who Jesus is. We know what He accomplished for us, and one of the primary ways that you and I, as believers, know that we are His is in verse three. And by this, we know that we have come to know Him if we what? If we keep His commandments. Obedience is central to the knowledge of God. When we understand really who God is, good and perfect and holy and faithful and righteous and everything else that we know him to be, then we understand that our creator, man, he's worthy of all obedience and all doing and and following his standard as he describes it. Now, is our obedience a condition for knowing him? No, but it's a result of knowing him. Knowing God and walking in fellowship with him must be reflected and expressed in how we live out our daily lives, our choices, how we use our time, our resources, our giftings. Remember what Jesus taught in the high priestly prayer that John records for us in 17.3. John 17.3. And this is eternal life. That they what? That they know you, the only true God? This is eternal life, that you know him. You know who he is and what he's done on your behalf. That's part of repentance. What does the word repentance mean? To change your mind. To change your mind about who you are and change your mind about who God is. That he is the creator of the universe and he's worthy of all things. And we have offended a perfect and righteous God. We change our mind. We know really who God is. To know him is salvation. It is eternal Life. And how can we know that we know him? We keep, we abide, we walk as he walked. Isn't Jesus our perfect example? The one whose life we model ours after? And guess what really helps in seeing who God truly is? And I'll give you a hint, it's the subject of this entire section. What really helps us getting a clear vision for who God is? Pray. Praying is super helpful. But think about the big picture topic that we're talking about over these last two weeks. What is it? It's a, it's a bad three-letter word. We're talking about sin, people. We've been talking about it for two weeks. Get it out of the way. It's obstructing your view of who God is. That's the whole point. It's, it's distracting. It's marring everything. You've got to get it out of the way. If you really want to know who God is, what He looks like, then clear out the path in front of you, right? Get it out of the way. Then you begin to see the beauty and majesty and perfection of who God truly is. We confess our sins, the things that actually distort the true greatness of God you got to allow the process of rooting out the sin in your life to clear the path between you and the Lord, that you might know Him more intimately and grow in your assurance of your salvation through your obedience of Him. You see how it all works together? Now some of you are saying, man, this, this sounds hard. The Christian life is challenging, my friends. If you didn't know it, Think about the language the Bible uses to describe our lives, to crucify our flesh, to take up our cross daily and follow him. These are not easy things that the Bible tells us to do. So I would offer you, my friends, that the Christian life is not comfortable. It's just not. There may be areas of your life, though, where you are quite comfortable. I know I have some. That in my mind, I have them They're like, oh, these are off limits. These are my areas. God, I've got this. Don't worry about what's going on over here. No. <laughs> when the light shines, it shines everywhere. But we've got to be ready to have the light expose what's in our hearts. And we've got to be ready for what we're going to see. Because we're probably not going to like it. So my encouragement to all of us is that we would spend some time, some real time this week, praying and fasting if you're able to. Asking the Lord, which areas in my life do I really need to bring into the light? Which areas do I need to, to put on the operating table so to speak That they need to be repented of, confessed, and allowing the Holy Spirit to work in us, to stir up our affections for Him. I mentioned last week, I know this is hard, um, so if this is a lot for you, or if you're wrestling through some of these things, let's get together. I've got the time, I've got the uh, capacity to meet, if you're just like really going, hey, This is all new to me or this is tough or I don't don't know what to do with this. I know there's things in my life that I need to handle, I want to handle, I just don't know how to start. Like, Let's talk about it. Yeah, we've got some practical steps in how we can walk through those things, identifying them, naming them, neutering them, replacing them. But my friends, you're not in this alone. (laughs) We're committed to a community who is committed to sharpening one another to loving one another, to walking through, bearing one another's burdens with you. And it's not that you stand up and just just spew all of your, your garbage to everybody anytime anyone asks, but there should be some people in your life that you're walking through this with. that They know what your tendencies are, what you're really struggling with, so they can pray with you, they can intercede with you, they can be an accountability piece in all of this. Nothing makes you rely on Jesus more than admitting how much of a sinner you are and needing of his help. You're like, man, I'm jacked up. I need you, Lord, all the more. So you're not in this alone. And thankfully, Mike's preaching next week, so hopefully we'll change the, the, the topic and do something a little more challenging. I told you when we started 1 John is riddled with all kinds of difficult things. But as I told you this morning, this is foundational. Like, this is what we do as Christians. This is part of the process. Because we get in our own way so often through the way in which we serve the things that make us feel good and comfortable that aren't God. And they keep us from doing the real work of the ministry being out among the lost, being the light in this world, the salt of the earth, who are confident about who we are in Christ, so much so that we can share that with others. It's all tied together. All right, that's enough for today. Let's pray. God, I thank you, Lord, that you are a God of peace, and hope, and love, and forgiveness. And my prayer, Lord, is that nobody leaves this place feeling beat up in terms of condemnation from the enemy who goes, yeah, you know what, I told you. You're just just a terrible, awful person. That's the lie of the enemy. that's, That's the one that tries to bring all that stuff up in negative ways. That caused you not to want to deal with it at all. The Holy Spirit brings things to mind in a way that drives you to the cross and says, like the man who couldn't even approach the altar but stood at a distance and said, Lord, forgive me, a sinner. I can't even look at you. But his heart was for the Lord. And to be cleansed and washed of all of that. And that's the whole thing, Lord, right? As hard as it was to to hear some of these things today, the beauty in it is that you forgive. And you cleanse. You wash over us. You make us new. So we don't have to hold on to these things in our lives that are struggles Idols and sins. We need to deal with them, yeah. Sometimes that brings up hurtful and uncomfortable things, Lord, but that's not where we stay. We have victory in you. We have hope, forgiveness, and peace in you. So I pray that each one would leave here encouraged, knowing that you love us so much that, God, you desire to do that work in us. So let us position ourselves to see that work accomplished for our good and for your glory. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.